live with another episode of the Brown Water Banter Podcast. My name is Jared. Seymour. <laughs> My name is Jared Gates. <laughs> yeah, we got a great show for you this evening. Uh, in the studio, man, we got David from Haiwanshin. No, I can't do it. You're going to have to help me. It. You're going to have to help me on the live, David. It's Haiwanshin Kai. Haiwanshin Kai. Sorry, man. I was trying to do my best. Haiwanshin Kai. Uh, martial arts school over here in Van Cleve. We're going to be talking about uh, traditional Japanese uh, jiu-jitsu, uh, his time in the military, the fact that he's a veteran, how he works with veterans now. It's going to be a great show, man. So uh, y'all stay tuned. But before we get started, like we always do, we're going to thank the people who uh, keep the show running for us. Uh, right out of the gate here, 2023 is the year to keep your mouth clean. Uh, Dr. Robbie Williams over at Southern Magnolia Smiles and his team here, uh, they'll take care of you. They're located on Washington Avenue in Ocean Springs. They are on the socials at Southern Magnolia Smiles on Facebook and Instagram. And when uh, you decide to make that appointment, all you got to do is give them a call at 228-215-1202. And we are happy to have them uh, as a part of the show. Mm Mm-hmm. Hilltree Marketing, our buddy Jesse Hill uh, over at Hilltree Marketing, he can take you from uh, no concept whatsoever to a full-fledged website. IT background stuff, he can do all of that for you, accepting payments, uh, the uh, artistic photography side of it. If you've got a business, you're a content creator, or you need a website built for any reason, jump over to hilltreemarketing.com, check out some of the local brands that he's worked with, or go to brownwaterbanter.com because he built our website too, and we love it. Uh, glad to have him on board as well. Uh, our buddy Tyler, over at Taylor & Cox Law Firm. I mean, I keep telling you, they've been practicing law for 30 years over in Pascagoula. If you find yourself in the need for some legal representation, they're your guys. Uh, they specialize in criminal law, family law, and civil litigation defense. Uh, Tyler's a great guy. He's into the outdoors. He's been on the show a few times, uh, and we'll probably have him back on here, I would assume, as uh, politics start rolling oh, again yeah. oh, here at yeah. the end of the year. Have him come on and just chit-chat. But uh, when you, if you find yourself in the need for their services, man, give them a shout, 228-696-0111. Uh, our buddy Rocky over at Sea to Swamp. Look him up on Facebook, Sea, the number two, and Swamp. They're your, all your outdoor apparel, tackle, fishing, hunting, gear, everything you need for a day outside. Rocky's got you covered. He's got a location in Gautier and Gulfport. You can give him a call at 228-205-3964. Rods, reels, repair services. Uh, he carries brown water gear. Go check him out. He's a local dude, local store. Uh, he's slinging kayaks, extra tough boots, you name it. He's got it. Go check him out. We're proud to have him on board. Uh, a new for us this month, Kendrick, over at For uh, Forever Young uh, Women and uh, Men and Women's Health. Look them up on Facebook, Forever Young Men and Women's Health. <laughs> if you find yourself a little sluggish, like you can't practice your martial arts anymore, you don't want to get in the gym, you don't want to do anything but sit on the couch and eat potato chips, maybe your testosterone's low, maybe you need some hormone replacement, maybe you just need to get some lab work done, yep. uh, Kendrick can take care of you, man. Look them up on Facebook or give them a call at 228-363-6623. Tell them that you heard about them on the Brown Water Banter podcast, and he specializes in men and women, so you can bring your lady friend with you. And uh, y'all can both get healthy and start right. start the uh, mid-year's resolution <laughs> together. So, yeah. Uh, but, man, David, thanks for being here this evening. Thanks for joining us in the studio. Uh, we got a lot to unpack. I think probably we'll start with um, how did you get into martial arts? Because that's – it's uh, speaking of, like, rolling right out of the Kendrick uh, sponsorship, man, it's something that I've been doing for a little while and absolutely love it, and it keeps you – active right i mean it keeps you moving in in ways that our bodies don't nowadays because we sit behind desks and ride in cars and we don't we're not active like we used to be right how'd you get into it so i had been uh, disabled from the military for a while I, I might need to start with that story. okay yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. We, can, we can start there that's cool okay 
So I was uh, stationed at Keesler. I was an airman there. In, in 1992, I had a near-fatal motorcycle accident, and um, it was on Fat Tuesday. And uh, the entire left side of my body was smashed, and uh, I've had 27 surgeries. And uh, I just figured I was never going to do anything physical again. Everything hurt. Right. I, my knee was destroyed, and I was just getting bigger and fatter and sicker and older <laughs> as time right. was going on. Right. And after almost 10 years of that, my wife, who I had met after I had my accident, she was going to be graduating from USM with her school psychology degree. And I knew she was going to be working with troubled teens and people that uh, could potentially be dangerous. So I wanted her to take some self-defense classes. And I found her a school in Laurel, which is uh, Foster Self-Defense Academy. And okay. uh, it sounded exactly what we were looking for. It was almost an hour away, but it was the only one I really found that was going to fit the bill. Mm -hmm. right. And I went with her to her first uh, class, and I watched the class. And as I'm watching the class, it occurred to me, I might be able to do this. You know? Okay. And the instructor was amazing in that he did an, uh, just a fabulous job of adjusting techniques to whatever I could handle. And if I couldn't do a particular technique because it was too gross motor movement, too much my left side of my body, he would move me up to the next level and, and it would be a little more like jiu-jitsu. Mm -hmm. And we did that for a year. She graduated. We ended up moving to... Baton Rouge, and after two and a half years in Baton Rouge of not finding anything that was really worth taking, we settled on the school with, under Robert Carver. He was teaching out of a YMCA. Mm -hmm. He's a former Marine, and he taught out of the YMCA so that he would not have to have a commercial school. So for a long time, he didn't charge anybody anything for at least six years before the YMCA forced him to start charging people. Oh, wow. And so I got in with him, and it was amazing. It was the most painful experience of <laughs> my life. Yeah, yes. uh, sounds like martial arts. Yeah, yeah. And, and it was just so eye-opening for me. And so I studied with him for about 12 years. And after we moved from Baton Rouge to South Mississippi, my wife, her family was living in uh, South Mississippi, her parents. And so she got a job with the Pascagoula school system, and I moved with, you know, the whole family moved, bought a place in Van Cleve, mm -hmm. and um, I started looking around for where I could open my own school. What year was this about? This was, uh, we bought the house in 2013. Okay. So okay. in early 2014, I put my kids in the program, the judo program at Gulf Coast Judo. Okay. And then I, I noticed that they only had two classes a week. So they were paying rent on the building the whole time. Right. So I approached them and said, you mind if I teach jujitsu? I'll give you all the money. I'm not here for the money. I just want to continue training. Mm -hmm. And they said, sounds good. So I started my jujitsu class there. Some of their students were dual training with judo and uh, traditional jujitsu. And I started, I, I made a Facebook presence, and I started seeing a few more people, a few more people. And I stayed there for two years. And then, as I uh, intimated before the uh, podcast started, um, I decided to part ways with them right. after two years. It was amicable. Mm -hmm. And then I, uh, I actually 
got into Body Quest in Gautier, um, I did a favor for Kenny, the owner, and uh, to show his thanks, he let us use the back building, the back room. We renovated it, did drywall, painted it, did some electrical, cleaned it all up, and he bought the mats. And the mats cost about six grand and started teaching out of there. Taught out of there for a year. And then basically, once he figured out we weren't going to make him rich. Right. Uh, <laughs> He's like, yes, enough of this shit. Yeah, yeah. y'all got to go. He sold the mats out from underneath me and said, all right, we're done. Yeah. <laughs> and I said, oh, man. Do you mind if I buy those? Yeah. Yeah. So he let me buy them. And uh, so I bought the mats. I had nowhere to take them, but. <laughs> Uh, then uh, home garage time yeah. maybe that's down the list oh yeah uh, no, I, later. every story has got involved somebody right. being in their home garage right yeah. so um greg uh over at mcnarbs he fabulous guy um he offered us the use of the space next to his store so for a year we put the mats out there we were teaching in there but it was a it was not a great situation because the building should have been condemned <laughs> There were holes in the roof. There was rain pouring in. There was a huge mold problem, just mold growing on the walls, on the mats. But you might as well have been training outside. Yes. <laughs> and no air conditioning. Oh, uh, Lord. So it was so outside. It was yeah. outside. So we did that for a year until they finally decided they were going to close the building so they could renovate it. So I moved into my garage, and I taught out of my garage for a year and a half. And at this point, we had been moved from Baton Rouge for four years. And it took us that long to sell our house. So it was it, having two mortgages was not. Oh, yeah, that's no. fine. It yeah. was awful. Yeah. So when we finally sold the house, we got about 15 grand, uh, maybe 20 out of the equity, paid off our vehicles, paid off our credit cards. My wife said, take the rest, build a building. Mm -hmm. So I started looking into it and I managed to set some money aside, came up with about 35 grand. Mm hmm. And um, I knew a contractor because he had done our kitchen and bathroom rebuild on the house. And he said, you can't afford me, not for 35000 but for 35000 you can use some of my guys, mm -hmm. pay them $10 an hour because that's what I pay them. Mm -hmm. And they know how to build a building. So I designed the whole building. Pretty much contracted it yourself. Yeah, he contracted it. Yeah, that's yes. what I'm hearing. Right. And unfortunately, um, using they were all in uh, corrections. And, uh, yeah, so <laughs> they, when, when I, when they told me they knew how to build a building, they did not know how to build my building. Ah, so you and got, got burned. I paid them to screw it up. I paid them to fix it. Ah. And so they framed in the building wrong. They poured the slab poorly. It had huge ruts and, and, and just like awful like this. Divots, yeah. Yeah. Yes. Oh, it was terrible. Um, everything from the dirt work up cost three times what it was supposed to Did cost you, but, but you learned <laughs> yes and but you learned so literally i was out there in the summertime with my in my slippers disabled with a sledgehammer beating over studs yeah when they built the walls they put the stud at one on one side of the x at the bottom and the other side of the x at the top so when they stood the wall up all the studs were crooked by an <laughs> inch and a half yeah, they framed in all the build the walls and uh, the or the uh, windows and doors to the exact dimensions of the window and door. So Didn't leave any. Yeah. No, so we had to rip no all the framing yeah. out. God, build, dog. All the headers were hollow. They didn't build them right. They were right. just two pieces right. of wood. Right, right, right. 
So I had to rip all that out myself. They didn't put any hurricane straps in. They I bet that put... code guy was just just <laughs> chewing through your. Closet. He just threw yeah. the paperwork. He's like, here. "What's going on here? Yeah, guy? what do you want me to do yeah. with this?" Yeah. So the thing is, it was permitted as an accessory building, mm -hmm. so we got some leeway out of it. It wasn't yeah. a residence, so they left us alone until it was time for inspection, and I made sure that when it was time for inspection, all everything was right. Right. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, yeah. the thirty-five thousand ended up being one hundred and fifty thousand. Well, that's what that's about where that. Yeah, if yeah, you yeah, would have yeah. made me guess, because I'm like just looking at your stuff online about right. about what we're in here, right? right. I mean, it's, that's what it costs. I mean, so the, the problem was that if I had known that in the beginning, I would have taken that hundred and fifty thousand. <laughs> I would have paid an actual contract. Right, right, and you wouldn't have had the headache. Know, exactly. Correct. Yeah, exactly. But instead, I had to go on clonopin because <laughs> I couldn't sleep at night. I'm not I laughing would, at you. Yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm yeah. laughing with yeah. you. Yeah. I'm I laughing would, with you. I would close my eyes and I would just have flashes going on, and I yeah. would just see my building rotting. Yeah, the building literally. Literally was not dried in for a year and a half, and it, I, is this a metal building now? No, it was a, it was a stick frame. Building. Okay, oh, okay, wow. okay. And I assume, yeah. And studs the, don't do too good. No, they don't no, do too good. No, no, no. And, and, and I could go on. There's yeah. more. The the, the building wasn't square. Let's get to the yeah. good. Let's get to the good parts. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. so you said you started the self defense stuff when yes. you were already what twenty six surgeries post op, right? Yes. So how how did you? What was your physical condition then? Like, yeah. what were your capabilities? And so, I don't mean martial art wise. Right. I mean, I mean like movement wise. Yeah, like right. living. I could not walk without a cane. Damn. And okay. So I would limp over to the side of the mat, put my cane down, do my class, come back. And so when I was in Baton Rouge, um, the first six months was like that, and okay. it was uh, he had classes Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And what I found is that if I went to all three classes, I couldn't physically walk on Tuesdays and Thursdays. And I had a one-year-old son. I was a stay-at-home dad being disabled. Right. So that doesn't work. When you got a one-year-old son, if you can't walk. Right. You can't catch him. You yeah. can't catch him. And yeah. He was everywhere. So I was only going to class on Mondays and Fridays. And it was killing me that they were in there on that day learning and I wasn't able there, to go. Yeah. So after about six months of that, I had already been to at least five orthopedic surgeons and asked them, can you do something about this knee for me? And they were all, they wouldn't touch me. Yeah. So I finally, I did some research. I looked online and I, f I found a knee that was supposed to be good for at least 35 years. Thank you. And normally the, the conventional wisdom is you get your knee replaced. It's good for 10 to 15 years. And then it begins to eat away at the bone mm -hmm. and then they can replace it one time. And yeah. that one's good for five to 10 years. And that's yeah. it. And that was part of the reason why nobody wanted to, to replace the knee when I was 32 years old. Right. But I, um, I contacted the company that made this special knee, and they said, you're in luck. There's a doctor in your area, Dr. Pope. He was the uh, orthopedic surgeon for the LSU Tigers. Okay. And I went and saw him, and he's like, yeah, I'll do it. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> yeah. what should have been about an hour Go and Tigers. a half surgery yeah. <laughs> turned out to be a six-hour surgery. Uh. But he did it. And it's been over 20 years. The knee is great. Right. Um, it's It gave me my life back. And uh, I still have nerve pain. I have uh, my ankle is frozen to 90 degrees. I've got claw foot all from the accident. Right. Um, but really, I'm doing great. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, and the, the self-defense was... What was that based in? Was that traditional Japanese jiu-jitsu or was it just self-defense techniques? Like what, what, what was that so curriculum? So when we started in, in Hattiesburg and Laurel, mm. his self-defense academy, very well put together. It was broken up into beginner, intermediate, 
advanced, and then onwards towards black belt. Mm -hmm. And the way it worked is you could join at any time. You join the beginner class. The first half of the beginner class is ground. The second half is Mm stand-up. And so let's say when you show up, the ground portion is starting. Okay. So you're going to work on, in the very beginning, somebody gets on top of you, and they're taking your head, and they're bouncing it off the pavement. Mm -hmm. How to survive that. Mm -hmm. Or they're... um, they're mounting you or they are all of the scenarios that happen in a self-defense situation where you're on the ground Mm -hmm. and he would teach us gross motor movement things that you could learn very quickly and would allow you to survive in that situation Mm -hmm. and then the second half was the stand-up somebody's punching at you somebody is tackling you somebody is grabbing you somebody is trying to hit you with a stick Mm -hmm. and he teaches gross motor movement stuff to deal with that because again you can learn it very quickly And then in the intermediate, we go back to groundwork. And now, instead of gross motor, it's dealing with the same sort of scenarios, but more fine motor stuff. And then you go into the advanced class, same thing, more advanced stuff, more jujitsu. And and as you would go, it would be more and more jujitsu-like and less gross motor stuff. But traditional Japanese at this point? Yes. Okay. Yes. His his art was based on what's called kumiuchi-ru, which traditionally was jiu-jitsu that was designed to be used in armor against Samurais. other people in armor right Samurais, right. yeah yes. exactly uh so that kind of helped you as a rehab physical yes. rehab right? right that helped you kind of start moving again and probably gain some confidence too very I would, much i would imagine right you don't have to accept that i'm disabled in the sense that where i'm at right now is all it'll ever be right yeah. right and that's kind of what i think martial arts does for everybody whether you're disabled or not it kind of it teaches you I got all this stuff going on. It's in panic mode. I'm mm-hmm. about to be choked to death if this guy doesn't stop. Yeah. Right. At every every grappling match would end in death exactly. if the guy didn't stop. Yeah. Right. You would die. You got to yep. be calm enough and realize. Process all that hey, and learn to think. You know, right. like swimming in the deep end of a pool. Like mm-hmm. if you didn't know how to swim, somebody threw you in there. Right. If you panic, you die. Right. Yeah. So it's that. And But you had a different kind of uh, situation going on with the physical disability that it helped you battle through. Right. Right. The philosophy behind jiu-jitsu is what I'm getting at. Is It's to me the addictive part. Yes. It the the physical part is cool, but that that part is I think what makes it such a transcendent thing. Like what's the word I'm looking for here? You know what I mean? Yes. It's it it is quite amazing. Uh if you stick with it long enough and you get past the simple frustration that you don't know what you're doing, right. you're a fish right. out of water. Once you start to get into it and you realize the depth that's there mm-hmm. and just you can go forever. Right. You, know, you can just incremental improvements and just every time you're learning something. Well, right. and like yeah. and like it changes it definitely every time you go, but sometimes even within each role or each match, right? Like you're like, I'm the worst person here. Yeah. I'll never learn this. Then the next one, I'm I might be the baddest dude at this level. <laughs> right. And, and, you know, the next yeah. one's like, Nope, I am no. not. I am not. Learned again. You know, and It'll then you see like the, the guy ability. who you the guy who you th- exactly mm. who you think is the baddest, and then you see some random dude come in or at a tournament or something. You're like, oh man, that dude's way wow. So it just keeps escalating. You right. know, the further however down deep the rabbit hole you want to go, You'll always be challenged. Always. Yeah. yeah, there is no top. No, there is no end of the road. No, unless you're Hickson. Yeah, he was pretty. <laughs> yeah, he was pretty. Up there. Yeah, but I mean, he. No, I'm sure. Did he? He lost matches. Though. No, he, he's no, no, he he's he quoted as having like 600 wins and zero losses, mm. something like that. He was, on, he was on the next level though. Yeah, he really was. Uh, do so, you know? Do you know? Go ahead. Go ahead. Where Where is your? Uh, it's called a dojo, correct? It where is. is this located? So I built it right next to my house um, on Gaucher Van Cleve Road. We're basically on the corner of Briarcrest and Gaucher Van Cleve. It's 
a mile south of Highway 57, three and a third miles north of I-10 at okay. exit 61. Yeah. Very f- not far from here. No, right. it's literally, you could throw a rock from here. Yeah, yes. Damn near. I wasn't, wasn't going to say it because I'm pretty sure you don't want people showing up at your doorstep. Yeah, <laughs> well, we don't. We got cameras there yeah. and an alarm, too. So yeah, yeah, right. yeah, yeah. Uh, And we sign autographs, so whatever That's you want right. to do. Um, but no, so so explain to me on the uh, progression through the traditional Japanese. Is it the same belt system as uh, no. Brazilian? It's completely different. So Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, for the most part, is white. Blue, purple, brown, black. Correct. And then some of them have higher b- black colors like red and stuff, and that's okay. The coral, they do a mixture, right. and then you go in red, yeah. So ours is very similar to the judo mm-hmm. belt ranking system. Uh, it's white, yellow, orange, green, three levels of brown, black, and then we start getting into like a coral belt, which I have as a fourth degree, mm-hmm. and then you get eventually all the way up to like a pure red. Okay. Which is, I think ninth or tenth Don. I'm never going to get there. So right, mathematically it can't happen. Same, yeah. same with traditional. Jiu-Jitsu. And what what is explain that to me? Why can't it happen? Is it time? Yeah, or because it- technically, at a bare minimum, you the amount of time in belt that you need goes up by every time. So, to, if you're a, a first degree black belt, it's like maybe two years to get second degree black belt. Your first and then once degree, you get right. that, then it's three years after that to get third degree, four years after the gap to get fourth degree, you know, and, and so by the, is I, it, is it a, a test? I guess you like if to, in order to get a belt, I have to show you that I know these skills, right? right. Uh, is that how it goes? Every, every professor that awards belts in every discipline can be different, right. whether you're Taekwondo, Judo, traditional Japanese martial arts, yeah. but like for our, for uh, Brazilian Jiu Jitsu, each, each professor could be different. So like one guy, He's going to make you be a minimum of 10 years mm-hmm. before you get your black belt. He doesn't care how much you come. He's, it's kind of like right. kind of baked into his system. But what I'm saying, you said two years after your black belt. If I just show up for two years and get my brains beat in, don't learn anything, do I still get the belt just because I'm there? So here's the, the way that we do it. So um, Everybody I'll, gets their brains beat in, <laughs> honestly. <laughs> yeah. So, I'll tell you how I experienced it as I went up through the ranks in Baton Rouge. So I came to Baton Rouge as what was essentially an orange belt because I had studied for a year up in in Laurel. But I didn't know many of the yellow belt and orange belt techniques because it's a different school, different study, everything. So I stayed in orange belt for quite some time. Now, we had a habit of going to seminars. My sensei would go to seminars in Louisiana uh, because one of his sensei was there. We went to uh, Mississippi. We went to Florida. We went all over the place. Mm Mm-hmm. And one of the things that we found is that when we would go to a seminar, those of us who would go with him, he would naturally compare us to the other students that were at the other schools. And what he found was that our level of ability was just way above where the other students of a given belt rank were. Mm -hmm. We would end up getting field promoted almost every single time we'd go to a seminar. And so I literally got field promoted green brown i skipped one brown went from uh third degree to first degree so my first test was my black belt test and that was after four and a half years there and counting the one year in uh hattiesburg laurel was five years five and a half years so five and a half years total to get your black total to get my black belt And so that was the first time i tested and it was all inclusive i had to demonstrate every technique in the book from yellow belt all the way up mm-hmm. i had to test uh and demonstrate them 
uh, statically against somebody grabbing me and then percussively somebody striking me. And then I had to demonstrate all of our strikes that we do, where we strike them, what we expect is going to happen. And then we started with the sparring and I had to go one person, two persons, three people mm-hmm. all at the same time. Mm-hmm. And as I was taking my, my test and as three people were attacking me, I didn't realize it, but he had handed a wooden knife mm-hmm. to one of the participants and the first time that I knew the knife was in play, I had taken it away from him, and I was going after one of the other guys with the knife. Yeah. Mm. It's all so, in play, baby. You brought right. a knife. From That's right. I can use it, yeah. So, And my test was, I think, like about four or four and a half hours, and at the end of it, I was lying on the floor gasping like a fish. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So. Yeah, every every place is different though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I just so, so, I didn't know if it was a test. I'm, I'm sure you had to do like skills, like mm. whatever. Y- y'all know better than I. The know. thing I'm, is that we're a small school where we are now and when we were in Baton Rouge, the instructor knows exactly what you're capable mm-hmm. of. He sees you every single every class. Every day, yeah. Right. And so he's not even going to test you until he's sure you're ready. Because if you go and you test and you fail, looks bad on you, looks bad, bad on, on him. him. Yeah. So it's not a belt mill. It's not like we're, we're charging money and then we get to keep the money whether you make it or not. Right. We have a vested interest in making sure that we're churning out good students that know the right. art and can represent the, the school well. And so I won't test anybody if I don't think they're ready. What's, well, you got your reputation on the line. Yeah. 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 What's the uh, – because we talked a little bit about this before we went mm-hmm. live. Can you explain some of the differences between <clears throat> what most people are familiar with down here, really, really glo- like globally, I would right. assume, uh, Brazilian – Jiu-Jitsu, otherwise known as BJJ, versus traditional Japanese Jiu-Jitsu. And it's also spelled different, too. It is. So I can go over the history. Hopefully it won't be too dry for you. So traditional Japanese Jiu-Jitsu was the art the samurai developed uh, anywhere from 800 to 1,000 years ago. Mm -hmm. It was the art that the samurai practiced on the battlefield to stay alive in situations where they were not able to use their sword, Mm -hmm. either because they were disarmed or because they were in a situation where they weren't allowed to use their sword. Like, for instance, if they were in the castle of a neighboring daimyo, they might not be allowed to use their sword. Some of them were not even allowed to rise to standing. They had to be on their knees the entire time, and that way, if they were looking to depose that daimyo, couldn't really fight from their knees very effectively Mm -hmm. so that was one way that they felt they were kept safe and so they developed skills that could allow them mirroring their sword work that they already knew how to do to fight barehanded fight from your knees fight on the ground etc but the primary focus was still going to be battlefield fighting in situations where the other person most likely has armor and so striking, kicking, right, not really going to work against somebody wearing armor. But if you dump them on their head, or um, armor has to have articulated joints in order to be functional. And so you can still do joint locks. You can lock out an elbow. You can lock a wrist. You can lock a shoulder. You can throw them on the ground. You can break body parts yeah. doing that. Mm-hmm. Attack the weak link. Yes. And so that persisted for, like I said, about... Let's call it 800 years until what was called the, the Meiji Restoration. Um, around the uh, 1800s, America steamed into the port, I believe it was Kyoto, which was the capital of Japan at the time, and forced them to open their borders. Mm-hmm. They were very, very insular up to that point. They had closed down completely, and they'd become very, very antiquated. And we showed them when we steamed into port with these uh, you know, battleships, they were like, uh, we need to make some changes. And so everything that was old 
was seen as being bad, antiquated, and we need to modernize. In addition to that, the emperor was at odds with the daimyo and the samurai class because it was always a danger that they could rise up and depose him. Mm-hmm. And so he took advantage of the, um, the, the change in, in philosophy of the, the, the country that old is bad, and he abolished the samurai class. Well, the samurai were the only ones that were realistically studying jiu-jitsu. Mm-hmm. And so it went underground, and it was in danger of dying off. It was only being practiced at that point by thugs and soldiers and policemen. Mm-hmm. And so around the turn of the 20th century, there was uh, two branches that came off of traditional jiu-jitsu. There was Aikido, which was created by Morihei Ushiba, and he had studied uh, jiu-jitsu, actually um, Daitoru Aiki jiu-jitsu, and sword. And so his Aikido went off in this direction, and then uh, Jigoro Kano was a professor and an educator, and he didn't want jiu-jitsu to disappear off the face of the earth because he saw it as a valuable cultural treasure mm-hmm. of Japan. So he figured if he turned it into, instead of a jutsu, which is like a, a fighting art, mm-hmm. into a do, which is a philosophical way, when he changed it and he changed the techniques in certain ways that I'll get into in a moment, he figured we can give this to the world to build harmony and to allow it to continue. And that's how he created judo out of jujitsu. Mm-hmm. And so what he did to jujitsu is he took all the techniques that were too deadly to practice at full speed, real time against a person without injuring them. And he took them and discarded them. And he either replaced them entirely with new techniques that were safer, or he modified them so that they could be practiced against somebody who knew how to fall properly without injuring them. And that was the amazing discovery and the amazing change that he had made that allowed judo to become the force that it was because now everybody could practice it right without worrying that they're going to kill their partner right before that time you couldn't practice these techniques against resistance because they would break the person you're working with so it was confined to only using prisoners of war Mm -hmm. and doing um using bodies to figure out how the bodies fit together to develop a sense of anatomy. So they were really breaking bones. They were literally breaking bones, breaking joints, dropping people on their head, and that's how they learned how to make the world's most deadly martial art is by using it to kill people and break bodies. And so obviously that wasn't really going to work moving into the future. So one of Jigoro Kano's students was a name by uh, Matsu Maeda, also known as Count Maeda, Mm -hmm. and he was a businessman. And he had business dealings in uh, Brazil, especially Rio de Janeiro. And he had a business deal in the area, and the Gracie family did a favor for him business-wise. And in exchange, he taught them what was at the time Kanoru Jiu-Jitsu, because it hadn't been called Judo yet. Mm-hmm. So when, they, when the Gracies started learning this art of Jiu-Jitsu, they called it what they were used to calling it, and it became Gracie Jiu-Jitsu. Mm-hmm. Now, in Portuguese, the romanization, the, the actual pronunciation is J-I-U-J-I-T-S-U, mm-hmm. 
but it all sounds the exact same. It's jujitsu. Mm-hmm. So the the traditional spelling is J U J U T S U. Yeah, but the Japanese way. Right. It's jujitsu. And so the Gracies used it to amazing success in the Valley Tudo, which is no holds barred, mm-hmm. that they was very popular there on the beaches of Rio. And their art gradually over time morphed away from being judo into what it is today, mm-hmm. which is predominantly groundwork. Mm-hmm. And the reason for that is because it's twofold, really. The first is you can take somebody off the street and teach them a single leg, a double leg, and pull guard mm-hmm. in an afternoon, mm-hmm. and they're going to be relevant. You can't teach them judo in an afternoon. Right. There's an, a, an amazing amount that goes into not only learning the techniques, but learning all the falls. You have to practice them rigorously for a long time before you're ever going to be able to throw somebody with a judo throw who doesn't want to be thrown. And so when people talk about, hey, you know, we should do more judo, what's the point? You know, it, unless you practice it every single class, you're never going to be able to do it against somebody who doesn't want to be thrown. The techniques require so much practice and finesse. You got to make it the other person's idea. Mm-hmm. You know, if if you go to throw them, they're going to resist and it's right. not going to go anywhere. It's usually like bait and switch though. Push yeah. this way, throw push that them, way. Push them, they push like back dance. and boom, they Great. go flying. Right. And so... Is it effective? Absolutely. Do you have to devote your whole life to yeah. the point where it becomes effective? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, just like all of it, though. Yeah. Right. But, but I get what you're saying. It, so is, it is difficult. That's primarily the difference between traditional jiu-jitsu and Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Traditional jiu-jitsu stays true to the self-defense perspective of the original art. We want to learn how to defend ourselves against the people who are doing the most of the crime in, in mm-hmm. the world. Mm-hmm. Are these people trained martial artists? Probably not. These people, if they had the wherewithal and the discipline to become good, <laughs> they wouldn't, they yeah, wouldn't, wouldn't be, be out doing making it. crime. Yeah. Right. There's much, much easier ways to make a living than going and spending all that time and effort on the, on the mat. Yeah. So we're learning how to defend ourselves against you know people who attack you, uh, resource predators, sexual predators, um, uh, people that are looking to dominate you know, if you come up and they're fronting on you and they yeah. want to, you know, get you to back down, these are all situations where jiu-jitsu shines. Mm-hmm. And uh, you learn a graduated series of techniques that allow you to start with basic control, um, lock a joint, all the way up through break a joint, all the way to throw the person safely, all the way to throw them unsafely where they land on their head. Mm-hmm. And our goal is we would like to strike them, lock them up, throw them on the ground, roll them over, and pin them. And our pins, we learn judo pins, which pin them on their back, but we also learn jiu-jitsu pins where you pin them face down, mm. like a cop would do. Right. Mm. And that way, you can literally hold somebody there until help arrives. Right. And, and if, if help's arriving for the bad guy, you can break something and be ready to deal with guy number two. Right. As opposed to if you're rolling around on the ground with him, and let's say then you could get stomped on exactly mm-hmm. you 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 spent all this time you got your guard on you've got your nice clothes guard you're working towards something and his friend goes over hi there <laughs> yeah <laughs> kick you in the back of the head exactly. that's yeah. that's one of the ones that's uh the one of the uh when people want to attack like jujitsu that's what they say well it doesn't work against multiple people and it's like well nothing works against multiple people truly 
There is no art form that... There's nothing that's going to make you invulnerable to them. Correct. But there are ways that you can stay alive for longer, long enough maybe to get away. Um, right. Well, it's you're better than than not knowing it. Yes. You're way better. Yeah. Uh, right. Or or the or the introduction of a weapon. Right. Exactly. If you're doing traditional, whether it's Japanese or Brazilian, mm-hmm. and that guy has a knife that you don't know about. Right. And you're in the middle of putting them in a certain situation. All he's got to do is slip the knife and hit you it's with it, with. and it's right. It's a and, done deal. And that's why when we're in situations where we consider ourselves to be in real danger, that's where we'll be focusing on pins where we're pinning them on the floor face down. Mm-hmm. Pull all the knife he Control wants. Control and extremities. You know. Don't right. let him. You know. Exactly. I'm going to put him in a position where he cannot get to me, either with the arm that I'm using to right. pin him or the other arm. Right. Now, maybe if he's got a gun. Right. But honestly, um, I'm watching him. He pulls a gun with that other arm. I'm breaking the one I've got, and I'm going to stomp him in the head till right. he stops moving. Right. So uh, I'm in a position to do that, though. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm not tied up on the ground. Every either. single co- uh, like cop video that you watch where mm-hmm. a lot of it gets out of hand. Yes. I, you can't help but watch it and go, man. If if you would have known three simple techniques, right? That and I don't understand why it's not. T- I don't care what you call it, jujitsu. Ju- I don't care what name it is. Mm-hmm. How to put a guy who's resisting just to the ground, right? Yeah. You know what I mean. You don't have to be an MMA. You don't have to be a black belt to do that. And you right. see guys just messing it up. I agree. It's like we got to get better training. Yeah. So this is kind of a sore spot for me. Yeah. Um, when we formed our nonprofit, we formed it with three focuses. Uh, disabled veterans, special needs kids and adults, and law enforcement. Okay. With the goal that we would offer jiu-jitsu, especially tailored jiu-jitsu to what the law enforcement needs, taking them from the interview to the ground, roll them over, pin them, and, and go to a cuffing position. Right. For free. Right. You would think. They didn't, yeah. So I've been to all of the surrounding departments. I've mm-hmm. been to... Uh, Jackson County Sheriff, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And um, the best I've gotten out of them is we'll tell our guys that it's there. That's it. Um, yeah. I, I even offered that we would use the nonprofit's funds to create a recognition program mm-hmm. that any police officer that stays training for a certain length of time will get a certificate from us. And all we asked is that they would officially recognize it in the department, mm-hmm. call them up in front of everybody and say, so-and-so has been working really hard. They're, they're uh, working on their own personal safety and the safety of the public, learning how to do these combatives. And no, and, no not and interested. You, you were saying you weren't going to charge the department no. nor the cops. It's all for anything. free. All for free. For free. Yeah. Nobody was interested. Weird. Nobody's interested. Hmm. Wow. Yep. You figure people who put their life on the line would want to have every tool available. You would think that. Yeah. But hopefully it's not like a red tape thing. That would be disgusting, you know? So part of it is that they have a certain type of techniques, a certain class of techniques, that if they stick to those, their lawyers will support them. Correct. Right. And unfortunately... Those techniques include deadly techniques. Oh, yeah. And so, literally, they have better legal backing if they pull their gun and shoot the person dead rather than they're using an unapproved system. Right. Even though it's effective and could could potentially save their life and the person they're they're up against. It's kind of like us in the school district. We Yes. My my wife is a school psychologist. In order for us to restrain a kid, it has to be... 
taught it has to be done properly. If I just right. run up to a kid and tackle him, <laughs> knock him on the ground, I'm probably getting sued. Right. You have to sit down on the ground with them, wrap your arms and legs around right. them, and hold them there Correct. until help arrives. Yes. Some of these kids are bigger than we are. Right. Oh, way right. bigger. And so this doesn't work. Yeah. One of my students, he's actually going to be going for his second degree black belt in uh, September, is um, an educator and in the area. And he sometimes is called upon to restrain students, and he mm. can't use his jiu-jitsu. Now, uh, he's also a black belt in uh, Shotokan Karate, so mm. he's uh, got dual black belts now. And uh, very technically effective. He, I would be able to count on him to have my back in any situation where there's you know, it's really going down, mm-hmm. and he can't, he can't be can't seen use it. using it. It can't be identified right. as a jiu-jitsu technique, right. even if it becomes dangerous to the point of being life-threatening. Really? Really. So if y'all are out one day hanging as, out. As long as it's just hanging out, that's great. But if he's at a school function. Yeah, he's oh, really? okay. official oh, sorry. capacity. I'm sorry. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So okay. that is yeah, it's tough. It is very tough. It's a, it's a fine line to draw. About about how many students would you say you have at your school at this point? So they come and go. Yeah, for sure. Um, Just you know, average. I mean, right before summertime, we had an average of sixteen showing up on the mat. That's sixteen good. kids and sixteen adults. And summer, boom, we tanked. We yep. had three at Sunday, but now we're back up to around seven. So I'd like to keep it at about fifteen. It would okay. be nice to have that many coming regularly. Of those 15 that we have that consider themselves students, two are actively serving as police officers. And then we have a couple more who come very rarely or almost not at all that are police officers, but they come on their own time, mm-hmm. and you know they it's very difficult with their schedules. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So what what about the uh, <clears throat> the disabled vet part? Okay. Obviously, you know you've described that you were a vet yourself and you had the motorcycle accident. How did you tie that in together to what you're doing now? So the whole time in Baton Rouge, we had had veterans coming in and taking the class and I found it to be incredibly rewarding working with them. They got a lot out of it. And so when we moved here, when I formed the nonprofit in uh, 2019, that's why I chose disabled veterans, special needs kids and adults in law enforcement is because I think disabled veterans both those that are suffering from mental disorders like ptsd and anxiety Mm -hmm. other disorders and physical ailments like what i was dealing with they get tremendous benefit from it Mm -hmm. Um, it is just so amazing because when you are pitting yourself against somebody in the safe setting of the dojo where it is you know win or lose where you can you can freely go all out correct, and not have to worry about dying. It is so uh, atavistic that you can just let everything else go. Mm-hmm. And you, in the beginning, it doesn't carry over, but six months, a year after about that long, you find that the feeling you got, that feeling of release, that feeling of security and comfort and relaxation that comes on the other side of win or lose, you can take that with you. Correct. And you carry it with you all the time. Right. Yeah. So if you're just balled up angry, this is your chance to well, get it Well, that's everyday life. I mean, right? Yeah, you yeah, ever yeah. Right. stress, I'm lurk for lurk, got to do this, my boss said that. Kids. I'm, uh, kids, yeah, yeah. I got to be here. I don't want to do this, but I got to. The bills right. are due. I am lost my job. Whatever it is. I mean, that's all day, every day for most people. We're all designed How do we get that out? from a neurochemical perspective to 
deal with uh, active stress, but not chronic stress. Mm -hmm. Active stress is being chased by that saber-toothed tiger. Right. Live or die, at the end of it, the the danger is gone, and you can go on and, Mm -hmm. and, you know, be in your little social network and everything is fine. You can forget about it. Nowadays, you take that saber-toothed tiger home with you. Yeah, you're yeah. dealing with emails. <laughs> you're constantly you, chasing well, him. And well, you know, you right. know he's coming in a month. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Instead of like, oh, here, there he right. is right now. It's like we got to get ready for him in a month. Yeah. I got his due in a month. Here he comes. Yep. Paperwork, the email, the campaign, whatever it is at work, and then yep, and bills. Yeah, and it's just yeah. always there. Right. Yeah. So you get on the mat, and it is because and it's, it's all gone. What'd yeah. you call it? A short-term uh, threat? What'd you call it? No. Like so that? you have uh, chronic stress yeah. and like emergent or active stress. Active yeah. stress. That's the one I like. Right. Yeah. And um, yeah. And so you replace the chronic stress with the active stressor. And then when the active stressor goes away, so does your stress response. Right. And then you find that this, the rest of the stuff just rolls off your back. It does. You yeah. know, yeah. and y- you've seen uh, Fight Club, of course. Yeah. yeah so. That was legit. Like hey, the, the oh, philosophy. We can't, <laughs> we can't talk, can't talk about, about it. it. <laughs> can't talk about it. But yeah, no, it really was. It was a way for those guys to get that shit out. Right. And yeah. deal with it. When he starts getting into it, when he starts doing the Fight Club, you could just see how all of the day-to-day stuff just rolls right off. Right. It's only about what's right yeah. here, right and now. And he's walking right. into work just all yes. beat up, yeah. black eyes and all over the place. That's how like, yeah. is. I mean, you're not getting punched, you know, but right. you're getting yeah. bruises and banged up, and yes. yeah. it's it's tough. What are, what, are, what are the age groups? What, are, what do you work for? So our kids' class is ages 5 to 12, and then the adult class is 13 and up. And okay. most of my adults are 40s and 50s. Mm-hmm. But I've still got, I've got teenagers. I've got guys in their 20s. Yeah. So A, l- a lot of people, um, a lot of the Gracies put out a lot of videos on YouTube about like getting started. Mm-hmm. You know, and one of the two, two of the things that they said I thought was super cool is number one, what's the hardest belt to get? Most people will say black belt. And they're like, no. White the first belt, one, white belt. Yeah, to yeah, step yeah. into the to the uh, academy, dojo, whatever you want to call it. Show up and show mm-hmm. up for that first time and be like, all right, I'm going to do this, regardless of what age you are. You know, and as you get older, the more difficult, you know, psychologically. Yeah, is what they were talking about. And then the second thing that they said was like a lot of people will be like, well, I'm not in shape enough. Like if you're oh, fat yeah. or something, or you've never done that, they're like, well, mm-hmm. let me let me go train first, and then I'm going to take my first class. They're like, no, right. yeah. come in the way that. you are, All and we time. will mold you. No matter, if, you know, 100 pounds overweight, right? Come in, and, and we'll get we'll get you there. Yeah, and I offer um, ancestral nutrition and lifestyle coaching. Mm-hmm. Uh, part of how I lost 80 pounds and kept it off for 15 years is low carb paleo. Yeah, yeah. and so. Um, you know, I offer it to my students. I've helped a few of them. I've helped some people come off of diabetes medications mm-hmm. and normalize blood sugars and lose weight and fix a whole bunch of stuff that was wrong. Yeah. yeah. Now, are, are you the only instructor? So I'm the senior instructor. Right. We have some, uh, like I said, one of my students is a black belt right now. He's going for second degree black belt. And then I have a couple that are brown belts that are going for black belt this September. And so I'm a big believer in distributed teaching. I don't need it to be about me. Mm-hmm. And so even even like sometimes the yellow belts are helping out to teach stuff. For sure. Yeah. Because that's part of learning. That's part well, of learning. Well, that was my question. If I come in, don't know a single thing, uh-huh. how do I jump in on the floor with all the rest of these guys and girls that have already been there three or four years? Right. So we actually just added a beginner class on Sundays from one to two. Not that we've had any takers, but right. uh, uh, one of my students comes at noon, and he and I mop the mats, and then he and I have been just sitting there from one to two, waiting 
for the class to start. So he's like, why don't we do a beginner class? So we've got a beginner class there, one to two, and you can work on falls and rolls and all that. Um, but honestly, the stuff that we teach, everybody can do. It's it's not going to look as good as right. the brown belts, the black belt, but it doesn't matter. Uh, the it, stuff you'll see, you'll see again later. So I can just come mm-hmm. class day one. Well, day like one. I know at our place, we there, you're going to learn, like first thing you're going to do the warm-up. Right, mm-hmm. you sign the waiver. Then yes. you do the warm up. Exactly. <laughs> then you're gonna then you're gonna peel off one on one with somebody and mm-hmm. just learn the basic of like how to fall on the mat, right? The, uh, how to shrimp, yep. like just little tiny movements. Mm-hmm. You're not allowed typically to go first day right. into a and role you just situation. pair them up and you're walking around watching, observing, and telling coaching, right? So here's how a typical class goes: we have the bow in, and then we have calisthenics, and usually one of my students runs the the warm ups. After the calisthenics and stretches, then it's time for falls. And if it's your first class or you don't quite have falls down yet, I peel you off with one of my students, and he's very patient. He's another disabled vet, and he works with you on learning your falls. Meanwhile, everybody does back falls, side falls, forward falls, and rolls. And then once all that is done, we do it every single class because falling is potentially the most important thing I can teach you. Mm -hmm. Um if you make good decisions and as an adult in your life, you may never need to use jujitsu to fight to save your life, but everybody falls. Right. And so um, that's why we, we're learning the falling. And then after falls are done, then we get into the what, what we call uchikomi, a repetitive exercise. And it is uh, probably the strongest self-defense portion of the whole class. Um, a good portion of fights in the real world start from somebody trying to knock your block off with a big loop and roundhouse punch. Mm-hmm. It's the built haymaker, into our baby. DNA. It's the right. haymaker. Yep. And so what we do is we do the same three throws against that roundhouse punch every single class. So and it's uh it's a leg sweep and a hip throw and then we've recently also added somebody coming in to tackle you or to do like a single leg or a double leg and you'll sprawl mm-hmm. and then you'll get them into a guillotine just so that it's built in your brain. And then what we've found is that after about six months of that, somebody throws a punch at you or somebody comes to tackle you and you fall back on what you've been doing every single class for six months. Literally, they're flying through the air. They're on the ground. They're rolled over and pinned before you even knew they were punching you. Mm -hmm. We've had some cops when we were in Baton Rouge. They were doing the, um, the state fair, and one of them got punched at by a guy who didn't want to go home at the end of the fair. He didn't even realize that his his uh, partner was watching. Guy punched at him, flying through the air, boom, rolled over and in cuffs. And then he then he realized the guy had punched at him. Yeah. yeah. So we know this stuff works. It's very effective. And uh, then after that, after the uchikomi, then we go into what's called uh, waza, where I am actively teaching two to three techniques. And those two to three techniques, I try to make them thematically linked, so they might all be against the same attack. Mm-hmm. Or they might be what I call O-darns. So somebody punches at you. You try to do the first technique. It fails. Well, why did it fail? It probably failed because they dropped their weight or they did this. Well, then we do this technique. And then if that one fails, we do this technique. And so the idea is not only to give you a, a tool for every attack and then backup tools for when those tools fail, mm-hmm. but we're building patterns. Mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. so that you don't have to think. If, right. If yes. you ever have to think in a fight, it's too late. Yeah, right. I always explain, uh, compare it to uh, playing the guitar. Right. Yeah. You, you, Jimi Hendrix wasn't thinking about right. the next note that he played. He exactly. was just Doing flowing it. through it. It's right. coming through him. Like it's yeah. the, or, or a, I mean, sports, soccer player. I mean, foot, uh, quarterbacks, right? Yeah. The, their footwork. They're, They're not thinking yeah. that anymore. Right. They had to at one point, yeah. and they had to learn that. Because they perfect practice. Correct. Yes. But it, but and in, so that, that kata, that uh, waza, is when we're doing perfect practice. You're expected to try to make your technique as perfect as possible. We start with almost no resistance, and we work up to graduated resistance. Correct. And the techniques can hurt. With the more resistance you put in, the more they hurt. Mm-hmm. And so it's up to the person you're working with to decide just how much pain they're willing to put up right. with. Yeah. And then once those techniques are done, we're down to about the last half hour of class. I teach one block of groundwork. We take our groundwork from judo, so it's like a scarf hold, mm-hmm. uh, a side control, which is uh, like a Yoko Shiogatami, north-south, mm-hmm. um, the various pins that you learn in judo, and then we do that for about 15 minutes, and then we do our rondori or sparring. So like like a scarf hold for, for y'all would be where you would stop it? That's where we're, that, I've got you pinned, and that's the end of that? So the way that judo works is, and, and that, that differs from BJJ also, mm-hmm. if you hold somebody down in judo long enough, you win. Right. And in kind judo. Kind like wrestling, right? Same, yeah. Same thing. Uh, so in judo, it's, I think it's like 20 seconds gets you a half point, 25 seconds gets you a full point. They change it every so often, so I forget what it is. But I ain't got time for that, so we right. go 10 seconds. Right. If you can hold somebody in t- for 10 seconds where they're on their back and you're in control of them, they don't have their legs wrapped around you or whatever, Correct. Correct. then you win a full point. And so... Um, when we're doing the judo techniques, we're also not just learning the pins, we're learning the um, submissions. Mm-hmm. So you're learning udegarami, which is like uh, Americana or the Kimura. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You're learning chokes. You're learning... Uh, so y'all do do those techniques. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. It's called a different thing. Yeah, right. well, the traditional Japanese name The traditional name Japanese name. I, lo- I, I love the technique, but also love the Americana. It's like, yes. we're going we're gonna to change that. Right. <laughs> it's going to be yeah. our thing now. Yeah. Yeah. And then the last 15 minutes, like I said, is when we do our sparring. Okay. And so that vacillates between uh, groundwork sparring, which is very similar to what you'd see in a BJJ school. Mm-hmm. You start back to back. You say, Hajime, you spin to face each other. You have to stay on the ground. You're trying to pin the other person. They're both trying to win at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can win by submission. You can win by pin. You can win by choke, whatever it is. That's one form of sparring that we do we also do a form of standing judo where the two of you bow to each other you grab a hold and you're both trying to throw each other foot sweeps right standing work sometimes we'll combine that with the groundwork like you would see in traditional judo and then we also go through traditional jujitsu sparring or jujitsu rondori where and this is where it gets interesting the judo techniques that are in our syllabus are only a subset of what we do they're the subset of techniques that can be done, as I said, full speed, real time, without injuring the person. Mm-hmm. But we still have all these old techniques that will injure the person if you do them against somebody who's trying to resist. Well, obviously, you can't practice them in a full resistance situation because right. then they will break. So we have to have a form of rondori or sparring where we can accommodate those techniques, and that's where jujitsu rondori comes in. You have a designated attacker and a designated defender. And at low levels, like white belt and yellow belt, the defender is allowed to request an attack. You can say, give me a right roundhouse, Mm -hmm. give me a tackle, give me a grab and punch, give me a a bear hug from behind, whatever Mm -hmm. it is. And then they perform that, 
They do it about 25% speed with good telegraphing, and you have to use any appropriate technique that you've learned in the class to defend against it. You get up to around orange belt, now you don't get to ask for an attack. They get to attack you, whatever they want, it's still got to be 25% speed telegraphing. You get up to around green belt, full speed, no telegraphing. You don't get to ask for an attack. Right. Um, then we're starting to add in weapons. We're starting to add in multiple attackers. And to the point where once you're going up to brown belt, black belt, now you have to defend yourself against multiple attackers. The idea being you don't want to tie up with them. If you do tie up with them, you've got to do it in such a way that it makes them a human shield that mm -hmm. you can use them against somebody else. Either you'll lock up a joint and hold them there where they're dancing on their toes trying mm -hmm. to, you know, keep from breaking their arm yeah. and the people can't get past them or you'll throw them into each Pick other. Pick them up and sling them right. around like exactly. some Yeah. Right. <laughs> and so uh, the idea is if you get tied up, if you, like one of them grabs a hold of you or you're, you're rolling, you're dead. Because okay. yeah, now the yeah. other two are just going right. to get on and start beating you up. Yeah. So can you defend yourself against multiple attackers? It ain't the best situation to be best. in, but it can happen yeah, to it you. Can happen. Right. So, and like like we said, I think we said earlier before we went live, I mean, it's like, you know, it's you're always going to be better off knowing it than not knowing it. Correct. Regardless right. of what the outcome is. You, and the fact is that in any situation, I'm not a lawyer, right. Right, I'll just get that right out there, but in any situation where you are outnumbered, mm -hmm. the law does allow you to escalate to deadly force. Yes. So, or, or but I, I, a lot of martial arts people, or people don't realize this about martial arts, it teaches you to leave. It does. That's like one of the first things. And the guys who are the baddest at it, like badasses at it, it takes a lot for you to make, for them to fight. You'd have right. to actually physically. This ain't going to do. You're they're not going to. They're just going to be like. There's nothing to win. There's yeah. nothing to gain. Correct. From it's a lose. Yeah. Even if you win, you exactly. lost. Exactly. If you if you hurt that person, right? You may be in the right. Um, right. legally, but then they're going to come after you in civil court. Correct. Right. So do now, everything in your power to mad. avoid it. Well, it, we it, sit in max right. court. <laughs> yeah, maybe. call Tyler up. Yeah. <laughs> no, but it's like it 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 helps reduce the ego. Oh, very to much the so. point where it's like, hey, yeah. you're a blah blah blah, and you're like, really? I don't care about you. Right. Really? You have no reason to fight Seriously. at that point. Right. You have nothing to show. You have nothing to lose. Just walk away. You've been to yeah. battle. Right. right. I don't. I don't have to prove myself yeah. tonight in front of you. Right. But uh, if I'm an outsider looking in. Do I need any equipment? What do I, what do I wear to these classes? Do I just show up in Samurai shorts sword. or? <laughs> I, I mean, do y'all wear geese? We do. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. 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 You have to buy one of those. How's that work? So show up in comfortable clothing. Uh, sweats would be great uh, because sometimes you can get mat burn on your knees mm -hmm. if you're wearing shorts. Mm -hmm. But um, it is it is highly encouraged to get a uniform uh, before you make yellow belt. Um, I have that's a geek. That is a geek. Okay. Yeah. And um, so I have wholesale accounts with Century and with Fuji, mm -hmm. and I can get a uniform with shipping for about 60 bucks. Okay. And it's a decent quality uniform, and so that's what I get it for my students for because yeah. they, uh, they give you the wholesale discount figuring you've got a pro shop and you're going to upcharge. I don't believe in that. Yeah. Right. yeah. I would assume, too, like with sweatpants, though, no pockets if you can do it because fingers and stuff get caught in that. I've never had roll. anybody injure their finger in a sweatsuit pocket. Okay. Yeah. So. The, all the ones I've seen are like the tights, shorts with tights underneath. You yeah. Know what I'm talking I mean, about. That would be fine. Uh, yeah. Not geese, though. Huh? What are you talking no. about? No, I'm talking about when they're just rolling like in like shorts. Like a rash guard. Like, you know, yeah, like yeah, the, yeah. the spandex tights. Yeah, it's a rash guard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. 
and then shorts over. But they we typically try to stay away from anything with pockets or zippers right. or belts because fingers, hands, right. faces can get dragged across they that. Can. What about uh, mouthpieces or anything like yeah. that? Y'all, I've had some of my it? students start to I wear mouthpieces. Uh, one of my students, he caught an elbow at an inopportune time and chipped some of his teeth. I caught, yeah. a, I caught a knee. Yeah. Like uh, that, uh, and then yeah. I was like, mouthpiece. So now. it's it's not required, but it is encouraged. Not required. If you want to wear one, that's fine. Uh, yeah. I think I only have two students that wear them, so yeah. that's fine. Yeah. If you've got braces, you should probably wear one. Okay. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It'll tear your face <laughs> yeah. up. Yeah, yeah, elbow, or even just a, you know. Yeah, just a cross face. Yeah, you're, cross you're, face. All your, your gums are going to be torn Hamburger up. meat. Yeah, it's yeah. going to hurt. That's gonna not going to be good. good. Dude, I love what you're doing. I love the uh, the veteran aspect of it. The mm-hmm. police, you mentioned uh, law enforcement, trying to teach them, get them up to speed. And then the, the not charging it, just doing it out of the goodness of your heart. Yeah. Uh, you know what I mean? I mean, that's that's cool, man, and putting that into the community. I yeah. like it. So, so the, uh, the initial, um, I guess, uh, business plan was teach for donations and uh, establish the nonprofit and reach out to government and foundations for grants mm-hmm. and corporate sponsorship. Mm-hmm. And as it turns out, I may not be the best grant writer in the, the world. I don't think anyone's <laughs> the best, right? It's it's a long, tedious process. Yes. For every, I've never done it. I've only heard people talk about it. Mm-hmm. And you're talking years. Uh, so they for want the, four pages. Yeah. And that is for, this, for the first two years, I applied to over 50 grants. I didn't get any of them. Mm-hmm. And so I just pay for everything out of my own disability income. Yeah. And um, we've gotten a couple of corporate donors. I, I should mention them. Uh, Geiger Incorporated, who's a local company. They donated $500 to us. And uh, Superior Optical, Derek Bodart. He's a Navy vet. And veteran stuff is very important to him. Yep. He's kicked in 1500 so far okay and uh, he's very appreciative of the work that i do to help vets i also uh kind of had a, a side thing where for free i help veterans with their disability claims okay very, that's cool very yeah good yeah. percentage of helping them with that how, how many of the people you mentioned are vets um so derek bodart the yep. from superior optical he's a vet the uh, uh that train with you oh sorry, okay sorry sorry so or have over the course of doing this have, have you been have you worked with some yeah, so we've probably had 20 yeah, in the past, yeah, there you go. So, there you go. let's see, 10 years? Yep, and are these situations, some of them like you were, where it's like, I don't think I can do this, I can't I can't move good, I've got, you know, physical uh, impairments that they overcame through training like this? So, to be honest, most of the ones that are really impaired, I can't get through to them. I can't convince them, even with what I've been through, they just, they're so stuck in that mentality that I could never do something like this or right. it's just not worth the pain. Right. I had to go through a lot of pain. Oh, no. Even a, even a healthy person. Mm-hmm. You're going to go through some, and again, like you were talking about earlier, it, we, it, you start here, like for day one, you're not going to get mauled. You're not yeah. getting whatever. And, and it, it, you know, uh, if somebody outranks you, you know, good training partners don't, they calibrate themselves right. to you. Right. It becomes a, a kind of like a uh, brotherhood or whatever you want to call it. Yes, yeah. it does. It's, people are nice, right? There's not, oh, everybody's yeah. in there trying to kill you. No, no. But even the, just the cardiovascular aspect of it right. is oh, yeah. uncomfortable. When you look at the mats when you get up and it's just yeah, piles it's just of sweat. sweat. Yeah. You're going to get burned Your whole, mats. You're going to get all that it's stuff. It's a total body. Two hours death. of any physical activity if you've done nothing at all right is going you're going to feel it the next day you're going to be walking around like you're 80 years old but there's a yes for sure but there is a um because i don't want to scare people off there is a um it, people are familiar with like a runner's high mm-hmm. if you run you lose release all those endorphins and you can feel it if you've ever done it before it's the same thing so you're going to get pay instant payback 
from it once it's over with. Yeah. Then you're going to yes. eat the ibuprofen and <laughs> show up the next day. Ice packs, yeah, yeah, yeah. bruises. That's all part yeah. of it. It's yeah, all yeah, part right. of it, yeah. Right. What, what, what can you do in life that doesn't cost something that's worthwhile? Right. And I don't mean exactly. money. I don't no, mean money. I you're mean right. Everything takes its Sacrifice. Toll. And the, the more valuable the activity, the more it will take. Correct. Correct. We're, too, we're a society that's too into quick, gimme, gimme now. Instant gratification. Instant gratifications, yeah. likes, comments, all this kind of shit. Yeah. So, so what can we do? We need some businesses to jump on board. Yes, so um, so after two years of hunting grants as pretty much our only exclusive uh, attempt at fundraising, <coughs> I, I came to understand that just that was a waste of time. And so for the past year, we've been branching out into more fundraising activities. Mm. We volunteer with the Sea Wolves. That was, okay. has been very, very lucrative for us, much appreciated. And once the season opens again at the end of September, we're hoping to rejoin with them. We're hoping to get something together with the Shuckers. Uh, okay. They have a new owner, and yeah. so they have expressed an interest at uh, more uh, philanthropic and uh, charitable uh, outreach okay. for the team. Um, then we also made a newsletter and sold ad space in the back of the newsletter, $100 for a business card size for the entire year, and I sold 20 of them, so okay. I got two grand out there of that. Go. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so that goes out monthly, uh, the, the, the donations that I told you about. And then Belk has uh, a charity sale twice a year. We participated in it this past time and made about $600. There you go. So it's been helpful, but it's a drop in the bucket compared to what we need for upkeep. Mm-hmm. It's going uh, to be a long road. What I, what I honestly need is companies that are willing to make tax-deductible donations to the nonprofit in exchange for whatever consideration they want. If they want us to just, you know, put an ad in our newsletter, if they want to film something for marketing, Mm -hmm. if they want to put a banner up in the dojo, I'd be willing to talk about that. Mm -hmm. If they just want to make a tax-deductible donation, any of those things would be helpful. If there's anybody out there that is decent with writing grants, um, professional grant writers are not allowed to work on commission. I don't know if you knew that. Mm-mm. I don't know a professional grant writer. Yeah, I don't either. <laughs> right. But that's only if they're professional grant writers. Um, not a professional. If you're not a professional, if you've written grants before or you're willing to learn, uh, we offer a 10% finder's fee for any grant that is landed for the nonprofit. It's, I'm sure the, the finding the grant's not hard. The writing part of it is or the, <laughs> what is it? Because I was going to say, you could look like, dude, chat GPT could probably write it for you. Right. Yeah. I, I think I write very well, honestly. Yeah. I think that the reason that we have failed to land grants up to this point has been twofold. First of all, we're unknown. Okay. Uh, we don't have a recognizable name. Okay. You know, and when people see High Washington Kai Jiu Jitsu, they probably just think it's a martial arts class. And it's not a, uh outreach where we're trying to help the community and help those who could use the techniques and the, and the, the art the most and are the least able to pay for it. Right. So the fact that our name doesn't scream charity is probably the first part. But the second part is it's breaking into the system. No grantor realistically wants to be your sole source of funding. Mm-hmm. They don't, they're not willing to be that first one. Right. But, well, now we fix that. So now we have multiple income streams. Right. There's a possibility that that combined with the fact that um, I'm hoping that the DAV is going to be willing to partner with us 
Uh, I'm a member and the sergeant in arms for the Singing River branch of the DAV, the Disabled American Veterans. Okay. And they they've kind of languished a bit in the the past few years, and so we're hoping to revitalize. And in order to revitalize, you need two things. You need new members, especially younger, and you need money. Okay. And so I have a plan to help them get both of those things, and I'm hoping in exchange, because we're a disabled veteran-owned nonprofit and because we serve disabled veterans, that they'd be willing to officially partner with us. And then when we file for grants, we can file as an affiliate of the DAV. Okay. That way we have their cachet from their name, and we have their established history of helping veterans, and we have the uh, multiple income streams. I love it, dude. People that are hearing hearing about you for the first time, they've never taken a martial arts class, they're scared, they're nervous. What's the best way to kind of peek behind the curtain and see what you're doing? Well, I mean, you're always welcome to come and check out a class. Just sit and watch. it's not like you're going to be hounding them for a membership. No. no <laughs> right? You're not trying no, to get a monthly thing. And, and this is nope. anybody, right? Anybody, anybody can walk in. Anybody. Yeah. Anybody off the street. Anybody off the street. Yeah. Where is it? Where y'all most active at? Y'all social media wise? So the best um, response that I've gotten is uh, about once a month, I post on all of the Facebook groups. Uh, so the Van Cleave and the Gaucher Talk of the Town and the Ocean Springs yeah, one. Yeah, I've seen it. And it, when I post on there and explain that we're a nonprofit, that all our classes are free, we do accept donations, that it's great for physical and mental fitness, that we got a beautiful facility, um, I, I get a lot of people interested. Mm-hmm. Now, a lot of people interested doesn't really turn into a lot of people showing up. Correct. I have to probably get 10 people who say they're interested before one shows up. Yeah. But that's just the nature of the beast. Yeah, it is. It and is. It, what is, is this a Monday through Sunday thing, or what is your... We have classes on Tuesdays and Thursdays okay. from... Our, our kids' class is 5.30 to 6.30, and our adult class is 6.30 to 8.30. And then we have a Sunday class. The beginner class is 1 to 2, and then regular class is 2 to 4, and that's adults. There's no kids' class on the weekend. Okay. That's, that's, that's some good times. I mean, people ought to be able to make that happen. Always looking for things to get kids out of the house and do something Absolutely. physical. So. Right. And as a matter of fact, I was watching Matt Hoggett's uh, interview today, actually. Uh-huh. And he and I have talked about the possibility, because mentorship is very important to him. I know where you're going with this. Okay, yeah. keep going. That's so a great idea. It would be wonderful if we could offer a mentorship program where the kids that are bad homes, yeah. they have no positive... Um, Role models in their life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. And no this structure. will give them something that they can come in and deal with adult males that are Correct. interested in helping them, giving them an activity, helping them work through their frustrations, maybe give them somebody to listen to them. It's like martial arts meets Boys and Girls Club. Yes. Right? And that's a good thing, man, because it, that is, those kids have all this, like, anger that they don't know how to get out, and then they usually bully kids or right. they, or they you know, go off into drugs for that release right. or whatever. I think that's a great idea. Yeah. Have you already... Uh, position that to him he came over to the dojo a couple weeks ago and we we talked about it but it's obviously gonna probably have to wait until his for sure sure. (laughs) sure. but but, but, we're not gonna elect it and and we talked to him uh just yesterday yesterday. okay yeah so uh i am good luck with his campaign but regardless of the outcome of that race that's still a great idea right Right. so however Mm -hmm. you would have to pitch that uh to the other forward i think that is a great idea. i don't again you probably have to deal with a red tape that you could wrap around the earth three times right. but if you could make that happen mm-hmm. uh I, I i'm really into that that's a that's a great idea so yeah. all right so we're sending them to your facebook page yes. uh tell people how to look it up so 
Um, it's on the screen right now for people watching. Hi, Wash and Kai. Um, I think, um, yeah, aren't we on uh, Facebook just under Hi, Wash and Kai, Mississippi? Yes, yeah, yeah, you just type it right in. Yeah. I don't remember yeah. the URL for that one, but we also have a website, and that's msjujitsu.org, msjujutsu.org. Okay. And we also have our PTSD program. We formed an official doing business as called Grappling with PTSD. Okay. And uh, so that's there. And uh, if we, if there are any vets out there that are struggling, it's a great program. And you're going to get to meet fellow vets. I'm personally, in addition to all of my orthopedic and neurological stuff, I'm at 100% for PTSD from the, the VA also. Okay. And so that, that's been a relatively recent uh, thing that they, they did. I didn't even ask them. They gave it to me. Yeah. Um, I have uh, driving anxiety from my accident. Yeah, I bet, yeah. And so as part of filing for that, they just started giving me PTSD up the chain until I hit 100% for it. Right. But, uh, yeah, so uh, we've got people that are dealing with anxiety, and we've got some very effective skills to be able to help them and manage it. And I would so agree with that. It would yeah. be wonderful if we could get more vets. And if you're a business listener, <clears throat> yeah. Let's get it. Reach out, send a message on Facebook. You can do it that way, I'm sure, and get the conversation started. Right. We would also be interested in any businesses that want to make a tax-deductible donation of goods that can be used to raffle off. Okay. Because uh, we did a successful golf raffle. Hickory Hill gave us $240 worth of golf vouchers, Mm -hmm. and we raffled those off, and we got about uh, $400 or so from that. So it would be amazing if there were some businesses that would um, donate whatever goods for a basket and we could raffle that off Killer. Killer. so get in touch if you're out there listening on the replay live doesn't matter yep. uh send them a message on facebook um it's linked in the comments below so you can show click, up to a click, class click right on the thing sure. I'll on tuesday tuesdays yeah. thursdays and sundays no, no cost all the games no cost yeah. did we talk what time was it did you say the times yeah he said it he said him. yes yeah. okay yeah he said him. tuesday thursdays and sundays mm-hmm. yep so uh, no excuse not to, man. We want to thank you for uh, your time this evening. Yeah, reaching out you. to us. I know Thanks it took us a out. while to make this happen, but we appreciate it. Right down the road, doing great stuff for the community, Van Cleve, and, right. and the community that we, that we like talking about on here, which is the disabled veterans. You know, we've done some fishing rodeo stuff with those guys. With, uh, right. I heard uh, about that. Tackle 22. Tackle 22. Yep. 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 Another organization that's doing stuff. So mm-hmm. uh, we appreciate it. Thanks, everybody, for watching us on the lives, on the replay, and listening in. Uh, we're going to pitch the app to you. Go check it out. Brownwater Banter app. It's on uh, Google Play. Uh, and in the app store on Apple, uh, it's free as well. Uh, you can stay connected to our universe. It's got all the outdoor stuff, weather charts, tails and scales, um, a, a radio station. You might not ever use that tails and scales if the wind don't lay down. That ain't a lie. The weather's been terrible. <laughs> so. uh, but, man, yeah, we, we appreciate everybody, and we'll keep doing it. If y'all keep tuning in, we'll see you on the next one. Later. Thanks so much for checking out the podcast. We really appreciate it. We're excited to announce that we just launched our very own Brownwater Banter app. That's right. It's free to download in the App Store or on Google Play. Whether you're an iPhone user or an Android user, it doesn't matter. It's free. Download it now. Stay connected with the Brownwater universe. Inside the app, we have links to the Tales and Scales login, the marine forecast from NOAA, tides and currents, radar, a list of all the bait shops here on the Gulf Coast, Everything you could need for a day out on the water, having fun. We've also got all the Brownwater social links right inside the app, connections to our merch shop. And if that wasn't enough, we've also built inside of it a country radio station. That's right. So you can listen on the go. I'm sure it'll evolve over time. Right now we're calling it Brownwater Radio Music for the Outdoors. So download it now, check it out, and we hope you dig it. 
Groundwater Banter.